So we are going to introduce some topics in dermatology. As remember, we'll serve you to identify what is a, which is the most likely condition the patient has, and if this condition is dermatological or is a skin manifestation of a systemic disease, which is the task that the primary care providers have. No they have to take care of the patient or if they have to send them to different specialists. Okay, we are going to be talking in the first two presentations, the ones that are already uploaded, about some groups of diseases. We are going to see how they are classified. Okay, we are going to start understanding the skin lesions, how we describe them, and then discuss today some diseases that are called papulosquamous. They have papules and scales and other lesions no, that we are going to see. And in the following, we are going to study dermatitis or eczema, eczematous dermatosis. Okay, you have some examples, contact dermatitis, atopic, stasis dermatitis. And notice that these groups are the ones that you can use for your differential diagnosis, papules, scales depending on the distribution, depending on the evolution, depending on age, different factors, we are going to do a differential diagnosis between them. Dermatology has a lot of description. And it's important to learn how to describe a lesion, because unless you put a picture of the patient there, and a picture of the lesions, no one is going to understand what the patient has or had if you don't describe it properly. And it's going to serve other clinicians, and it's going to serve yourselves. Okay? When you see the patient again, or if you see, you take that chart uh, two years later, okay, so understand what was present at that moment. Dermatology uh, nowadays has become easier because of the cell phones. Someone has a vision, and they can take a picture and send it to you, or show you this is yesterday, and this is today. It was a week ago, if they do the picture properly, no? There are some examples that I have received pictures that you don't see anything, or, or it's too close, and you see a huge thing, you don't know what is the size of that, or how you compare with something else. I remember one time, I have a, someone told, I have something in my arm, and they said they had a, a lesion here, and they were pointing, they had the finger on top of the lesion. <laughs> what, do you, what do you want me to see? <laughs> finger, nail, something. So, when you describe the lesion, you are going to divide the lesions into primary and secondary. We are going to try to learn about this today. There you have some videos, some uh, material that you can use to describe, to learn how to describe. So we describe the shape, the morphology, primary, secondary, what is the color, what is the size, what is the distribution, if, they, if the lesions are symmetrical, if they are linear or annular, like a ring, or they have some other shapes. If the borders are well-defined or diffuse, regular or irregular, if the color is homogeneous or not, if it's hyperpigmented or hypopigmented, and where they are in the flexor surfaces, extensor surfaces, okay, on 
photosensitive areas, areas that are exposed to the sun, or it's not mentioned there, but there are some lesions that are described as intertriginous that are located in the in the folds of the skin, okay, different folds of the skin. We're going to see this. Now, what is the difference between a primary and a secondary lesion? Primary lesions are the ones that are more useful to make a diagnosis. We are going to have some examples today. A papule, a macule, a nodule, a pustule. We're going to see what they are, how we describe them. And then we have the secondary lesions. These are not useful for a diagnosis because these appear when the patients start manipulating the lesions. And that will happen a lot. You may have a patient that started having some lesions on the face, and they went to the pharmacy, bought something that someone recommended, and they started applying some medication or rubbing or scratching. And then what you have is a mess. Sometimes with a bacterial infection added to the initial lesion. So unless they have a picture, you have no idea what was there. You have examples, crust, excoriation, scales. We're going to see examples. Okay, here you have a, just an image. At the end, you have like an atlas. Okay, that will describe exactly what the lesions or how the lesions look like. But I wanted to show you this video that explains very well. This is going to be my assistant today. Hi, I'm Dr. Justin Cohn, Clinic Chief of Medical Dermatology at Stanford Medicine. Today we'll be talking about a general approach to the dermatologic examination. To describe skin lesions, first we have to learn the language of dermatology. It's the common language that we share to describe skin lesions and this is something we call morphology, which is to describe the general appearance of a skin lesion without any regard to its pathogenesis or its underlying etiology. The first thing that we have to do is we have to identify the primary lesion. We're going to go through and talk about the different primary lesions and provide some clinical examples and images of each. A macule is a non-palpable, less than one centimeter lesion, and a petechiae is an example of a macule. If we were to take a macule and increase its size to greater than one centimeter, we would have a patch. Vitiligo is a perfect example of a patch. A raised patch, something that you could feel that's raised above the surface of the skin, is called a plaque. Psoriasis is a, is a great example of a plaque. If we were to take a macule and make it palpable, still less than one centimeter, we have a papule. And a papule is something that we see typified by a cherry angioma or a wart. In addition, you can have a large papule, something greater than two centimeters, which is dome-shaped, and you call that a nodule. An epidermal inclusion cyst is a commonly encountered nodule that we see in the skin. A vesicle is a clear fluid-filled lesion. Uh, herpes is an example of a vesicle. If we have something that looks like a vesicle, but that's instead filled with pus or purulent material, we call that a pustule. And we see pustules in acne and certain kinds of drug eruptions. A large vesicle, greater than one centimeter, is called a bulla, and we see bulla in friction or in blistering conditions like bullous pentacle. So after we choose the appropriate noun, we have to fill it out with some adjectives. We can talk about the size of a lesion, 
we can talk about whether or not its borders are clearly defined. In other words, it's demarcation. Well-demarcated lesions such as we see in erysipelas. Alternatively, lesions can be not well-demarcated such as in cellulitis. We can also talk about its color. And in dermatology, there's a lot of conditions which have characteristic colors to them. One example is we see the white of vitiligo, a loss of pigmentation. We can also see a bright red of a drug eruption or a viral example. In addition, purple sometimes connotes a vascular process like Kaposi's sarcoma. We can also see things in the skin that are granulomatous appear brown in color. Yellow sometimes makes us think of xanthomatous lesions or fatty lesions. In addition, we can sometimes see black as being necrotic skin or an eschar. We also see blue as a deep pigmentation, for example, in something called a blue nevus. In addition to the primary morphologies, we oftentimes have secondary or overlying morphologies. Some of these examples include serum, which is dried crust. We can see this in epitigo, or we can see this in acute or subacute eczema. Fissuring is something that we can see, which is a splitting of the skin as a result of hand or foot psoriasis. We can also see lichenification. Lichenification is the thickening of the skin and accentuation of skin lines as a result of chronic rubbing or scratching. Erosions are partial loss of the epidermis, and sometimes we see this as a result of scratching or injuring the skin. Uh, ulcerations are full thickness loss of the epidermis, and sometimes these are frictionally uh, derived or as a result of other primary processes. It's important to consider the distribution of skin lesions throughout the body as they can help you with the diagnosis. For example, lesions on the extensor surfaces of arms and legs can be seen in psoriasis. Generalized distributions occur in certain drug reactions. We can see a photodistributed rash in connective tissue diseases such as lupus or dermatomyositis. That was a lot of information, so let's quickly review the important parts. Whenever you are attempting to describe a skin problem, remember the primary lesion or morphology, size, demarcation, color, secondary morphology, and distribution. What you'll need for a skin examination is a well-lit room, a ruler, a magnifying glass, a handheld source of light. That is pretty. <laughs> okay, so these are the most common lesions. When you see a lesion, you first have to look at the morphology. Are they flat? Are they elevated? Are they palpable? If they are red, we may apply pressure on them to see if they blanch or not. Okay, to analyze all these characteristics. For example, you have there uh, different ones that are better described at the end. A macule is something that is non-palpable, it's flat, okay, and it's superficial. For example, if this is, I shouldn't have written the word that here. Okay, if there is a lesion that is less than one centimeter, there is gonna be a macule. Okay, it's flat. Now, if this is elevated and it's less than one centimeter, it's going to be a papule. Okay, the flat lesion that is larger than one centimeter is going to be a patch. And the elevated lesion that is larger than one centimeter is going to be a plaque. And yeah, then you describe other things that are there. Uh, some lesions are solid, like this. Some lesions are superficial. Now, if you have this same lesion but it's deep, gets to the dermis, now we call that a nodule. But if it's too large, a nodule that is very large, that is a tumor. These are solid lesions. Now, if this same lesion contains fluid inside, 
But what is that fluid? Is that clear fluid? Is that pus? We call that a cyst, we call that a vesicle, we call that a bulla, depending on the size, or a pustule if there is pus. Okay, different things that are used to uh, classify the lesions. What is that you're going to find sometimes some uh, contradictions? It's always use one centimeter, okay? At least for us, all the time it's going to be one centimeter to make it easier. So, you know, start, oh, what is the one that is 0.5 centimeters? All the limits, except for the petechiae, except for petechiae, is going to be one centimeter. Okay, you have some lesions that appear because of blood going into the skin. Okay, there's a blood vessel here in the dermis. Okay, so blood vessels are very superficial. Never go into the epidermis. If you have blood here, and this lesion is less than three millimeters, that is what we explain later, that is called a petechia. If it's from three millimeters to five, that is called a purpura. Okay, more than five, that is called uh, an ecchymosis or bruise. So except for the petechiae, we are going to always use the one centimeter as the limit. So we're going to start today with the papulosquamous diseases, okay, diseases that characterized by papules, plaques, scales. And we call them dermatoses because the term dermatitis is normally used for inflammatory conditions. So all the other conditions on the skin okay, that are not precisely inflammatory conditions are called dermatoses, or diseases of the skin, disorders of the skin. So before starting, always go back to the normal anatomy of the skin. Okay, there are important things to remember about the normal anatomy. Of course, the epidermis-dermis division. Okay, here represented gross uh, diagram. Okay, see the relationship between the dermis and epidermis. Remember, the dermis is the one that has all the important structures of the skin, the sweat glands, Sebaceous glands, receptors for many different things, blood vessels, nerves, etc. And epidermis has different layers. For us, the most important is the basal layer, because almost everything above the basal layer is are cells, the dead cells. Or they are dying as they move up. Okay, they produce keratin, they produce some other lipids that are very important in the defense of the skin, making the epidermis totally impermeable to water, and these uh, lipids also have antimicrobial properties. And the basal layer is the most important because these are the cells that are constantly dividing, okay, constantly dividing, and in between these basal cell layers, we have uh, cells, we have important cells that are the melanocytes. When you see a picture of a melanocyte, they are going to look like this. They have some, like some dendrites. Okay. These are extensions of the cytoplasm that contain many corpuscles, many bodies that contain melanin. These are called melanosomes. Okay. And if you place this cell here, you're going to see that these extensions are protecting the basal, basal layers. 
Okay, so the UV light doesn't hit them and doesn't mess up with the DNA uh, division, with the replication of the DNA. So they are very protected there. Another important cell in the epidermis is the uh, dendritic cell. Dendritic cells, which, as the name says, they have like also they have like dendrites. They are like this. Okay, they are placed here, for example, and these extensions allow them to catch bacteria, any pathogen that tries to enter into the skin in between the cells of the epidermis. Uh, well, we have sensory receptors, and something else that I wanted to mention is how the basal layer cells are attached to the dermis, okay? And, and what, what attaches one to another. And this applies also for cells that are above them. There are structures that allow the tight attachment of the epidermis to the basal layer, to the basement membrane that is below the, the epithelial tissue. These are called hemidesmosomes. You notice that in between the cells, we have two structures, one in each cell that look very similar to the hemidesmosome. But when you put the two together, two hemidesmosomes, you create a structure that is called the desmosome. Okay, that doesn't look very important now, but when we study some diseases later, you're going to understand the importance of this. Okay, in some cases, we develop antibodies that destroy the hemidesmosomes. Okay, so that will produce a detachment of the epidermis from the dermis. Okay? And there's going to be some fluid in between the epidermis and the dermis. Here, below, at older conditions, are characterized by autoantibodies that attack the desmosomes. So now we have a detachment of all the cells. All the cells of the epidermis detached from each other. So we have a total destruction of the epidermis. Okay, so just to understand what is the importance of this for the moment when we start studying these conditions. That's what we need from normal anatomy for now. Now, papulosquamous disorders. The classic example of papulosquamous disorders is psoriasis. Very common disease that uh, has different types of presentation. Not two patients are the same. Sometimes the diagnosis is very clear. Sometimes it's complicated to arrive to a diagnosis. And in many cases, psoriasis manifests only with skin manifestations, but in some cases may have other systemic complications and may produce arthritis, for example. It's a very severe form of psoriasis that is now a rheumatologic condition. So besides having the skin disorder, they have the joints involved. So this is a very complex condition. Okay? It's a, a chronic disorder. Notice that they describe it as having a polygenic predisposition. So there is not a single gene involved in the pathogenesis. There are different genes. And depending on what mutations or what uh, variations of the genes people have in combination, they are going to have one form or the other. Okay, there, there is a mixture of genetics and environmental factors. For example, infections, trauma, drugs. And notice there the 
epidemiology that affects 1.5 to 2 percent of people in Western countries, but may occur everywhere. The pathophysiology of psoriasis is very complex. And this information that you have here is a very, we could say, very, very new information. Okay, in the past, no one understood what psoriasis was. Okay, and no one would believe that there could be an autoimmune component in psoriasis. Now we have discovered many things after many years of investigation. There is a dysregulation of the T cells. Okay, T helper 1, T helper 17, that produce excess interferon gamma, okay, and leads to an exaggerated proliferation of the keratinocytes. So it's a very fast division of the cells. They are, okay, we call that increased cell turnover. So they are all the time shedding, 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 keratin, 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 and the basal layer is dividing, 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 trying to uh, supply more cells. So they develop what we call hyperkeratosis, thick, increased thickness of the skin. And this may have different consequences. Okay? When you have excessive cell turnover, these people, these cells that die, they contain DNA, okay, DNA, uh, when we process the DNA metabolically speaking, okay, we produce lots of uric acid as a result of this metabolism. Also, these cells are using resources that we may need for other purposes. Every time you make a cell divides and these two cells grow, they are going to take potassium from the body. So potassium is going to enter in the production of cells and maybe it's not available for other purposes. So they may develop some complications depending on the severity of this problem. Notice that there are some, we could say, risk factors, okay, the predisposition, the environmental factors. And there you have some triggers. What triggers the disease? What is the starting point of the disease? Some cases, physical trauma, rubbing, scratching, illicit lesions. There is a phenomenon that is described in dermatology that is called the Kuttner phenomenon. I think there is a, something, I'm not sure where, where it goes here or there. Kuttner phenomenon, that is someone has a skin lesion and when they have, for example, they have a tattoo, the same lesion appears on the tattoo or they have a surgery and the same lesions appear on the scar Okay, that's called Kepnerization or Kepner phenomenon. And it's very characteristic of psoriasis. And sometimes people discover they have psoriasis after having the first tattoo. Okay? And this is, that's why we call this a trigger. Infections, uh, for example, streptococcal infection precipitates a type of psoriasis that we call guttate psoriasis. Typically, psoriasis appears with plaques. Plaques that are, are erythematous. We call, uh, we describe them as having silvery scales and appear in the extensor surfaces. Okay, elbows, the knees, extensor surfaces. But there is a type of psoriasis that has like something like this, like droplets. 
That is called gutate psoriasis. It's another type. And that is associated with streptococcal infection. Stress, very important in flares. If you know someone with psoriasis, you know that when they are under stress, the lesions get very, very, very bad. Okay, notice that it's a factor that affects 40% in adults, okay, as a factor, and in children. Several medications, glucocorticoids, lithium, anti-malarial, interferon, beta blockers, may produce flares. And that is very specific for every patient. Okay, we have to know well the patient, or sometimes they know themselves better. And if you prescribe something that, oh, no, no, every time I take this, I have flare, could you prescribe something else? And alcohol ingestion. When you say this word putative trigger factor, is like, we are not sure. Okay, sometimes yes, sometimes it's not. So it's very specific, depending on the patient. Now there you have the description, okay? Get very familiar with the description because this is probably what you're gonna see in the questions. You may have sometimes pictures, you may have sometimes just the description. Okay, so these are described as plaques, are thick, hyperkeratotic, well demarcated, so you know where the lesion ends very well. Salmon colored with a silvery scale over light. Classically, there, is a, there are different types of psoriasis. The classic type of psoriasis has the plaques on the extensor surfaces. There is another type that is called inverse psoriasis, in which they have the plaques on the flexor surfaces. Okay, so, but the classic one in the extensor. It may appear also on the scalp, palms, feet, nails, and flexural areas in the case of inverse psoriasis. Now, if you scrap off the lesions, they will bleed. That is a classic sign of psoriasis that for some reason appears commonly. I've seen it many times on test banks. Which of the following additional findings do you expect? When you scrap off the lesions, there, are, there is pinpoint bleeding. That is called auspice sign. And 30% of the patients may develop Arthritis. Um, the arthritis may appear before the psoriasis or after the psoriasis. So you have, you may have a patient previously healthy that complains of arthritis, and you treat the patient with, because of the arthritis, and maybe six months after that they start having the psoriasis. So sometimes before, sometimes after, and it's associated with metabolic syndrome and with a greater risk of cardiovascular disease. Okay, we have two major types of psoriasis. Okay, one is called eruptive inflammatory type, and the other is called chronic stable or plaque psoriasis, which is the classic, the majority of the patients. Okay, slow changes, lesions for many years, stable lesions, or the inflammatory type. Small lesions, multiple, and a greater tendency towards spontaneous resolution. This, for example, could contain the gutate psoriasis that is associated with streptococcal infection. It's part of the, manifest, the manifestations of an streptococcal infection. So spontaneous resolution, nothing else to do about that patient. Don't get more streptococcal. 
So most of these diseases have predilection sites. That is something that we call distribution that we use in our differential diagnosis. So what is the most likely? Notice there you have extensor surfaces. Okay, between the gluteal folds, sacral region, scalp, palmoplantar psoriasis. And in some cases, you have the inverse psoriasis, the folds of the skin. These folds of the skin are also known as intertriginous areas. Intertriginous areas. Skin folds. Now, there are many, many, many pictures in this PowerPoint. So you're going to get tired of looking at them, but I don't think looking at pictures is ever enough. When you have your patients, you're going to see that they look different to the ones here. That's why sometimes this dermatology is very complicated, and we simply have to do a biopsy to make sure. Now, what else can you have to have in mind from psoriasis? Not now. But in the past, I remember this, the treatment, or at least, not, not the treatment, but the recommendation for psoriasis was go to the beach and be there for as many hours as you resist. Because the sun is good for psoriasis. That was what doctors used to prescribe. And patients spend, used to spend hours taking sunlight, and they didn't get better and many of them got skin cancer, okay? And skin cancer, sometimes you see it, sometimes you see a lesion very clearly, and the patient tells you, I have this here, this there, but what if the lesion is under a plaque? Because this is the skin, and you have a plaque that maybe is like this, and you have scales there, and redness, but the basal layer is that here. You have a melanoma here, there is no way that you can see it from outside. Okay, so it's very difficult when they have these types of lesions to know what is under it. And we are not going to biopsy the whole skin to look at the possibility of this. So there you have the primary lesion, well-defined reddish papules with silvery scales, typically in extensor surfaces. Okay, notice these gutate psoriasis, droplets. Okay, they are described as small, discrete, erythematous, scaling papules because of the size. Remember, less than one centimeter is a papule, but palpable, elevated lesion, also with silvery scale, typically associated with streptococcal pharyngitis. Patient has family history of psoriasis, didn't have personal history. So he has the genetic predisposition, and when he got the strep infection, glutate psoriasis appeared. Remember, this type tends to disappear. It's self-limited. Okay, so spontaneously remits. 
this is what we call psoriasis vulgaris, the classic type of psoriasis. What is the plaque in the elbow, extensor surface? This is another type, notice the plaques in the gluteal folds, in the sacral region, some little papules and plaques, you have the two types of lesions. This is the palm of plantar psoriasis. You can read carefully all the descriptions. In the case of psoriasis, it's not difficult to, to get because always they mention these silvery scales and erythematous plaques. Vulgaris, like common. Common, common type that has other implications in, but in medicine is the common, the more the, the most common type. This is in the scalp. Imagine having to comb your hair or going to barber shop. It's gonna be complicated. It's better to wear a hat all the time, and that's. Notice the description here, asbestos-like scales. That's not dandruff. Severe dandruff. Facial involvement, okay, in the forehead. And this is the inverse psoriasis. This is what we call intertriginous areas. Appears in the folds of skin instead of in the extensor surface. Okay, the intertriginous areas, inguinal regions, any fold of the skin, okay, are areas that are moist and warm. So notice the difference in the lesions here. Here you don't have scales. Scales are made of dry skin. These keratinocytes that are shed off appear on top of the lesion. They are very, very dry, but if they are in these areas that are very moist and warm, okay, the scales are not going to be evident. We say the scales have been macerated. The term that you have to be familiar with, macerated, a lesion, for example, someone has a fungal infection, the feet, or any kind of lesion, and when they look this moist, we say the lesion is macerated because of the humidity there. Okay, so compare the classic plaque in the extensor dry surfaces with this one in this warm, moist area. So you have different presentations, but it's exactly the same disease, but depending on the distribution. And this is how the nails appear. Okay, fingernails, pits, nail pitting, okay, has progressed to produce something called elconixis, or holes in the nail plates. 
This patient also has a psoriatic arthritis. Generally speaking, people who have nail picking also have arthritis. They tend to be associated. One of the characteristics of patients who develop the arthritis also have nail picking. Now, look at this. Imagine you have no idea of medicine and you have a coworker with this lesion in the hand, and they are touching your stuff in your desk. <laughs> or they touch your hair, your, or you have your kid and they want to touch your kid. Everybody gets very, oh my goodness, no, 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 no. But that is no problem with that. This is called pustulus psoriasis. But the definition of a pustule has nothing to do with infection, okay? Some infections produce pustules. But a pustule is simply a collection of neutrophils somewhere. Okay, so these are collections of neutrophils. This is not infectious at all. Remember, this is an autoimmune condition. There are signals for the body. Okay, there is a lesion on the skin, and there are chemical signals, cytokines, that attract neutrophils, all neutrophils. Fields go there to see what's going on, and they find, okay, there's no, no, nothing to do here, no bacteria, but they like that area, and they stay there. Okay, that is pustulus psoriasis. These are sterile pustules, and they are pruritic. So if they touch something in your desk, that's okay. You can shake hands with them. You can touch that perfectly. Now, for them, life is not easy. And that's something that, that also we have to understand for many patients, that life is not easy for them. And that's it. Imagine someone who is scratching their hands with these pustules there. Nobody's going to be very happy with them around. Now, notice this here. This is a generalized acute pustular psoriasis also known as von Zumbusch. I hope you don't have to use that term ever. Now, this is, we could say this is an emergency. Okay, this is a dermatologic emergency. Patient was toxic, had fever. Not because she has an infection, it's not sepsis. Simply because she's releasing so many cytokines that it's attracting inflammatory cells everywhere. We see the skin, but this is happening also at the systemic level. Okay, she had fever, systemic leukocytosis. Okay, all the defenses of the body are activated for no reason, thinking that there is a disseminated infection. But this is not very frequent, so I don't think you're going to find something like this. Now, the next condition is lichen, lichen plants. There are a few things that you need to learn about lichen. <coughs> lichen is a condition that may appear on the skin, may appear on the mucous membranes or both. Don't confuse lichen planus with the secondary lesion that we call lichenification. Okay, lichenification simply means hardening of the skin that may result as uh, because of chronic rubbing 
chronic scratching. Okay, so simply the skin is thicker. Lichen planus is a condition that can be acute or chronic. A main bulk skin, mucous membranes or both. And it's not very frequent, less than 1% of the population. Now, this is kind of easy of recognizing in on paper, to clinical vignettes. In real life, it's not easier. Okay, the lesions are flat-topped. Okay, maybe pink to violaceous, shiny, pruritic, polygonal. Notice that there are four pieces. Papule, purple, polygonal, pruritic. And when the lesions appear in the mouth, you have to think hepatitis C infection. If they are only on the skin, you always do a hepatitis C test, just in case. But when they are in the mouth, you have to, you must do the hepatitis C test. These lesions appear generally in the flexural aspect. Okay? Flexor surfaces. Now, it's inside. Okay? Not in the extensor, like psoriasis. Tends, th these lesions tend to be distal in the wrists and in the ankles, so you're going to be located like here. Okay? Distal legs. And in the mouth, okay, they can appear with specific characteristics. Milky white reticulated papules. Okay, they have slight... When we see the pictures, it's better. Reading is difficult to, to picture in our mind what it means. And may produce ulcers, erosions. Okay, sometimes acute, sometimes last for weeks. Okay, the deletions last sometimes years. Maybe asymptomatic or pruritic. In most cases, it's pruritic. Okay, severe pruritus. And they are painful if they are ulcerated in the mouth. What is the classic characteristic of the lesions? How do you know this is lichen and it's not psoriasis? What is missing there for being psoriasis? Scales. Okay. Scales are not present there. Because it can be pink, not necessarily have to be violations. Okay, they are pink. Now, there is a device in dermatology that is very expensive. If it weren't so expensive, I would have bought one. There is a dermatoscope. There is, they sell also some adaptations for cell phones, but I'm not sure if they work properly. It's an expensive device, but it's very good. If you see a lesion, the next eye, or you make a picture and magnify it, and you compare it with the image of the dermatoscope, you're going to see how different. Because even with the, the good ones, you can even adjust to like seeing the depth. Okay, sometimes if you see a lesion that is uh, hyperpigmented, let's say you suspect the melanoma, and you see with the naked eye, you see a dark lesion that sometimes the color is not homogeneous, looks more uh, brown and black and not, not very clear. When you look at this with the dermatoscope, you can like move 
down the layers and see bluish, reddish, pinkish, purple. So many different tones. And it's amazing what you can do with that, but unless you are making money, it's not your, oh, let me, this is so fun. There is a classic uh, finding in lichen that at the weekend street. Okay, but of course, in order to see that, you need to have a better magnification. We can steal the white lines. I really don't see, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure it's because I don't have the glasses, or, but I don't see the, the, the maybe it's kind of one there. It's a very clear white line there. Okay, so you need to be very careful if you are looking at that. If you only have 10 minutes for a patient, it's difficult that you have time to look at that. Now, this is the hypertrophic lichen planus. Notice that the lesions here are thicker. These are hyperkeratotic papules plaques. Notice they are in the hand, they are in the feet. And the characteristic of this is that since you have a lot of hyperkeratosis, the violaceous color can be seen only at the margins very difficult to see the classic striae, the classic color of the lesions. That's complicated, no? <laughs> it's associated with hepatitis infection, but it's not the virus. Remember, we mount an immune reaction for everything. And sometimes it attacks one part of the body, sometimes. In the case of strep, may attack the heart, may attack the joint, may attack the skin. Okay, in the case of Hepsi, that's one of the complications that it may have. Now, another papular squamous condition is pityriasis. I'll wait until 11.15 to have a break. Pityriasis rosa. One thing that happens in dermatology is that sometimes the names are confusing. Okay, that's why it's important to have the classification very clear. Okay, this is an exanthematose eruption. What is the meaning of exanthematose? Who knows what is exanthem? You can Google it. Exanthem. Who can tell me a more common name for it? A rash. A rash. A rash. A rash on the skin. A rash on the skin is exanthem. Now, sometimes the rash appears also on the mucous membranes. In that case, we call that enanthem. Medical language, we need to speak the same language. Exanthematic condition or exanthematous condition that has a very specific morphology. Also easy to recognize in vignettes. Normally it's a self-limited disease. And the lesions tend to appear with what we call the herald plaque. Okay, if you've had this, you 
probably know what I'm talking about. There is a single lesion that develops usually on the trunk and to be large, okay, that appears one to two weeks or up to 20 days, okay, I'm sorry, after the lesion, 20 days after the lesion, then they have a secondary eruption that is generalized. And it's this, uh, described as having a Christmas tree pattern. Okay, there are some pictures that, if you see them, you can say, oh, makes sense. But I've never see, seen the Christmas tree pattern in the real patients. But it's described like that. And that way appears in vignette, so you're not going to have any difficulty recognizing it. Okay, uh, this distribution in the Christmas tree pattern is because when the skin is made in the fetus, okay, there are there is a specific distribution of the collagen fibers following a pattern. That if you look, for example, at the back of a patient, and you could see in the back, you could see the collagen fibers. They are distributed like this, creating what we call the tension lines of the skin. Something that is very important when you are going to do surgery. If you are a surgeon, you need to know what are where are the tension lines of the skin so you can make the incision following these lines. So, because if you do the other way, the tension is going to open the wound. That's important for the surgeons, okay? or not only for the surgeons. If someone has a cyst and we are going to drain the cyst, we have to open the skin following the same lines. So the lesions distribute that way. Following this line, so form like a Christmas tree that they say. Now, what is the cause of this? Well, associated with herpes virus seven and six, or maybe drug induced, but that's less common. This is a self-limited disease. In six weeks, patient should be okay. There is a type of pityriasis that we call atypical that. The lesions may appear only in the face and neck. They may not have the, the herald, this primary herald lesion. Okay, and simply these lesions in the hands, and, and in the, sorry, in the face and in the neck. Now, this is when we have the problem uh, to do the differential diagnosis, when we have a typical presentations of a disease, because they can be confused with something called erythema multiform that we are going to be studying. that may result from a herpes infection as well, may result from mycoplasma infection or from some medications, maybe as a result of medications. This is the pattern that typically shows. There is the herald patch, the first that appears typically there. Can be any place in the chest, abdomen sometimes. This is the herald plaque, or patch in this case, patch. This is there, okay, and the rest of the lesions. Do we have any from the back? Okay, let's have a break. Uh, it is 11.16, let's come back in 10 minutes.
the nose, the eyes. That's it.
who got more dandruff out of their head. There were like mo little mountains of dandruff. <laughs> <laughs> Is that it? <laughs> okay, seborrheic dermatitis. In most cases, it's not something bad. Simply dandruff that they have to change the shampoo, and that's it. And it's a very common thing that has redness, scaling, sometimes itching, and will appear in areas where we have sebaceous glands. Okay. Appear in the scalp, may appear in areas of the face, the, the upper chest, areas with sebaceous glands, uh, also body folds. Okay, the mild one is what we call dandruffs, causes some scaling. There are some synonyms. Okay. In infants, for example, we call it cradle cap. And pityriasis sica is another name for dandruff. There are many factors involved. Nobody's totally sure. Okay, this runs in families, but families also use the same shampoo, usually. No? Uh, same food, the same exposure to the same things, same stress. There is a pathogen, but it's not a pathogen. It's a normal inhabitant of the skin, Malassezia purpur. Okay, this is a fungus, may play a role. Okay, it's not that the fungus produces the seborrheic dermatitis, it's simply our reaction, our immune system reaction against what it considers a pathogen. It may play a role with hyperproduction of, of these scales and redness, etc. For some reason, the disease appears very frequently in people with Parkinson's disease, and when you see a person with persistent, severe seborrheic dermatitis that doesn't have Parkinson, you have to suspect immunosuppression. Immunosuppression may be as a result of HIV, AIDS, maybe as a result of chemotherapy, or people receiving any kind of long-term corticosteroid therapy, like those who have rheumatoid arthritis, people with leukemias, lymphomas, etc. All of them are in the immunosuppressed group. So, describe as greasy, yellow, erythematous, scaly patches. What is that we don't have here? The silvery. We have the greasy, yellow, erythematous that appear in areas like the ones we mentioned before. And this is a, or these are the places, the places where it appears more commonly. Okay? May produce blepharitis, inflammation of the eyelid scalp, eyebrows, okay, may produce something that looks similar to a folliculitis. Folliculitis is when we have strep staphylococcal or streptococcal infection of the hair follicles because of shaving or hygiene problems. And the babies, infants, cradle cap, may appear in the face, uh, producing uh, classic regions, in the butterfly areas like looking like lupus, but it's not lupus, of course. We see important difference, the scales, etc. that lupus people don't have. Corona seborrheica in the forehead. I've seen that very frequently. It appears in the edge of the hair. The line of the hair, you see this, like a line making of dandruff there. Nasolabial folds different places. 
behind the ears, very common, behind the ears. See how you have to, why you have to do the physical exam looking in between the fingers, in between the toes, behind the ears, inside the ear, in the trunk, may simulate pityriasis rosa or pityriasis versicolor. I'm going to study this in, when we study the infectious diseases. So there you have a guide for your differential diagnosis. What can look like this? Okay, if you have an OSCE with dermatologic conditions, okay, and you have a patient with these lesions on the trunk, and you have pityriasis rosa, or you have to consider seborrheic dermatitis. Okay, you don't mention pemphigus vulgaris or melanoma. Okay, you have to go to lesions that are similar. And in the body folds, Notice axillary region growings, anogenital area, submammary areas, umbilicus, diaper area, in different places, different body parts. Examples, okay. Notice the description here, yellow-orange scaling, not silvery. Notice how it affects the nasolabial folds. One thing that the classic rash or Edema of lupus has looks like a butterfly, but it doesn't affect the nasolabial folds. In lupus, nasolabial folds are typically spared. Okay. Infantile type. Where is how they mention you have to rule out candida? Okay, there are some tests that you do in the office, KOH, to distinguish different things. Throughout psoriasis too. Now acne. Who hasn't had acne? Something that probably everybody has had at least one lesion once. Okay. Acne is a complex, complex condition, and we have a lot of great information about acne. Okay. Those who have certain age suffered a lot, not because of the acne, but because they, our parents didn't let us eat certain things. You shouldn't eat chocolate, you shouldn't eat butter, you shouldn't eat cheese. Besides these, I can't eat that. So, what's the solution? Okay, very common condition. This uh, is a disease of the pilosebaceous unit, unit hair and the sebaceous gland that is there to lubricate the hair. Okay, notice that appears more commonly in the face, trunk, chest, back, rarely in the buttocks, very commonly in adolescents, and the reason is, or looks like, that during puberty, the increase in steroid hormones, testosterone, and estrogens, testosterone more importantly, stimulates the sebaceous glands to start making semen. And there is a bacteria that is called Cutie Bacterium Agnes that was known some couple of years ago as Propionibacterium Agnes that loves sebum. Okay, that's the food for this bacteria. There are different lesions, comedones, papulopustules, nodules, and cysts. And in this description of the lesions, you have the stages of the diseases, of the disease from mild to the more severe. 
Okay, depending on what type of lesion they have, the acne is going to be classified as mild, moderate, or severe. Okay, mild cases don't develop any kind of sequela or scarring, but more severe cases may develop permanent scarring. As one of the books I read in the past explains, people develop skin and psychological scarring in some cases, which is a very live description, very dramatic description. Now, there are some factors, keratinization of the follicle. Okay, you have a hair follicle, normally the hair follicle has an opening for the hair to move out, and for the sebum to go out. If you have a keratinization, you have an increase in the keratin, there is going to be a narrowing of this orifice. Okay, and now the sebum has difficulties going out. It stays there. And if there is a bacteria that eats sebum, it's going to have a lot of food, in a dark environment, moist environment, so it's going to reduce infection of this structure. So keratinization, androgen stimulating the follicles and the bacteria. These things have to be together for acne to appear. So there is plugging of the follicle producing the primary lesion of acne that is the comedon. The comedons may be closed or open. Okay. If they are closed, they are be whitish. Okay. When they open, the contact with the air, with the oxygen, produces the oxidation of this material, and they look black. Okay, so we have closed, open comedons. The sebum is not draining now, bacteria are reproducing, and that produces an inflammatory reaction. Okay, the bacteria okay, has uh, enzymes that will convert lipids to fatty acids, and our body reacts against those fatty acids, producing interleukin-1, tumor necrosis factor, different inflammatory cytokines that will produce a more inflammatory acne type. Okay, now, there can be a, a breakdown of these uh, follicular walls. Now, the lipids, the sebum, the fatty acids, all these may spread in the dermis. So imagine that, all the dermis uh, with all of these things that our immune system attacks and that may produce an inflammatory reaction that may uh, lead to abscess formation, nodules formation. Lesions can be smaller, larger, depending on the severity, and may lead to scarring. How do we treat acne? What is the cure for acne? But the only thing that cures acne, besides age in some cases, is uh, oxygen. Accutane is the only thing that cures acne, and the mechanism of action of accutane is simply dry the skin off. Stops the production of sebum. Okay, in fact, people even look younger and better when they take accutane. Okay, the skin gets a lot better, and we simply make the bacteria starve. Because now the sebaceous glands don't produce a, a, a sebum, the bacteria starves and dies. And there is a mechanism, a mechanism of action has to do with uh, acutane depletes our body from vitamin B12 and folic acid. 
And we don't have vitamin B12, we don't have folic acid. Sebum can't be made, and the bacteria die. For this reason, pregnant women shouldn't get acutin. Normally, we give folic acid and B12 to pregnant women to prevent malformations. If we give a medication that destroys or depletes the body from B12 and folic acid, imagine the malformations that may appear. So there are many contributing factors. We don't say causes. The cause is what we mentioned before, the bacteria, keratinization, etc. But there are some factors associated contributing some mineral oils, some toxins, dioxin, medications. Emotional stress produces exacerbations, as in many other conditions. Notice this uh, type of acne, acne mechanica. Simply, persons who apply a lot of pressure on one area of the skin, they're in class all the time doing this, right? may have acne in that area, not in the other side some lesions in that area, maybe because of occlusion and also maybe over infection if they don't wash their hands. <clears throat> and the first thing that dermatologists tell to people with acne is do not ever touch your, your face with your hands and do not ever rub your face. It's amazing how many, if you go to the pharmacy, to the section of acne, you see a lot of rubbing Okay, face washing with rubbing and this and that, that's totally contraindicated. If we start rubbing the skin or exfoliating the skin, we're gonna make it worse. Okay, it's gonna get worse because that is another irritant for the skin and the inflammation is gonna increase. And notice that the last sentence is something that you have to remember. Don't make your family, kids, patients, friends suffer unnecessary. <laughs> Nothing that we eat produces acne. Okay? Nothing. If they are happy, let them be happy. Okay? The problem is when they are not happy. I, and I feel very bad because I love uh, butter and bread for my breakfast. Oh, they are going to. But if they don't need to do that, don't contradict. Okay, these are the lesions. Uh, the primary lesion is the comedone. Can be open, can be closed. In that case, when the lesions are only comedones, we describe as describe it as comedonal acne. The simplest, milder one. Then we have the papulopustular acne that has papules and pustules. Then we have a more severe that is the nodulocystic acne, also known as inflammatory acne sometimes. The nodules uh, may be soft. A, a nodule is a typical, uh, by definition, the nodule is a solid structure. Okay, a cyst is a more fluctuant structure. Uh, however, in the acne, okay, the lesions are described as nodules, okay, but they are actually not nodules. It's not a solid material. Maybe it's a compressed material. That's why they seem solid, but it's not tissue. Okay, it's like fluid, 
zebul, fatty acids, etc., that are very compressed. That's why it looks like solid. Now, these nodules may get softer. Okay, that organization may not be perfect, may disintegrate, and we may develop the soft nodules okay, from repeated follicular ruptures. And the material goes out, and then you have a re-encapsulation, then goes out and a re-encapsulation. Um, people may develop what are called the sinus tracts. Okay, that it's like you can see like a pathway. Like if there was a little highway from one nodule going around the skin or from one nodule to another, okay, or from one area of the nodule to another area. Sometimes they coalesce several nodules together, forming sinuses, okay, and then scars, of course. And they may have seborrhea as well. Seborrhea is going to be the less important thing in these cases. Notice the different types of acne that exist. Okay. Neonatal has to do more with the hormones of the mother, okay. the nose, cheeks, newborns, glandular development, maternal hormones that are being cleared by the liver that is not very mature yet. Uh, acne excoriae, okay. that is a type of acne that is uh, more associated with psychological, emotional problems. Typically in young women, extensive excoriations and scarring, okay, associated with obsessive compulsive disorder and other uh, psychological disorders like, like anxiety, etc. And someone who has just little comedons and starts like scratching all the time, oh, we want this to go away. I saw a case once of a person who had a little pimple there. And person had to go to a wedding or something, and went to the pharmacy, bought a, how is the name of this? Preparation Age. No, no, the, the one for acne. Uh, Benzoyl peroxide, oh, which is a very aggressive uh, medication that you simply take a little bit and you put it there, and that's it. But this person took a lot, started scrubbing the skin for a lot of time with that hydrogen uh, Benzoyl peroxide, which had a burn the face. Burn, huge burn. Was crazy. That is like the more severe acne scoriae that I've seen. That was like. Then we have acne mechanica. Notice the names. This is the one with the head, or may occur because of sports gears or like helmets. One very bad type of acne is acne conglobata, which is a severe manifestation, many cysts, nodules, cystic acne, appears more in the trunk than in the face, may appear in the buttocks. Remember, in the buttocks, acne is not too frequent. When you have many nodules or cysts in the buttocks, chest and back, you have to think more about this conglobata. And it's a very severe remission, it's rare. And it's really seen in this symptom. We're not going to enter into this now because this is for the future. Okay, these syndromes predispose people to acne. We are going to leave that for the future. Now, acne fulminans. Okay, something that fulminates. Tends to occur in 
teenage boys. Okay, acute onset, severe cystic acne, suppuration and ulceration, malaise, fatigue, fever, arthralgia, leukocytosis, and elevated ESR. Okay, this is, uh, in dermatology, there are little emergencies. Okay, there are very few emergencies. This is one of them. Tropical acne. Okay, it's uh, characterized by folliculitis, inflammatory nodules, draining cysts, crown borax in severe more in tropical climates, and is associated with Staphylococcus aureus, and not with a classic cutibacterium uh, acnes. An occupational exposure to tar, derivatives, oils, okay, hydrocarbons. It has totally different pathophysiology. Chloracne exposure to chlorinated aromatic hydrocarbons, insecticides, they may be severe. Acne cosmetica, because of cosmetics. Pomade acne, the forehead for using pomade in the hair. Safo syndrome, oh my goodness. Sinovitis acne fulminans, palmoplantar pustulosis, hydradenitis suppurativa hyperkeratosis, osteitis. This is a very rare thing. Don't even take the time to study that. And Papa syndrome. <laughs> Sterile pyogenic arthritis, pyoderma gangrenosus, gangrenosum acne. Okay, we are going to keep to the basics, okay? I'm not going to enter into those things. And there are some conditions that look like acne, but they are not. And we have to use in the differential. We have to ask the patient. For example, steroids. What medications are you taking? Can be systemic or topical glucocorticoids. And you're going to see how frequently you find these cases. Okay, many people follow advices from family, friends. I have itching in the face. Oh, take this. This is for itching. It was for your itching, not for the itching of this person. Okay, and they apply corticosteroids in the face several times a day. That's why I said that because I remember in the pharmacy, like they would put preparation H on their face to like make it sign. Yeah, that is a, what preparation H does is based on constriction. Right. So for example, people who have bags, high bags, they used to put it there to shrink them temporarily. For example, people who work on TV, they put their preparation H and then the makeup on top. But they wait until then. The box, but that's something that I wouldn't do at all. Drug induced. Okay, there are many other medications. You have the list there. And acne estivalis. Okay, after some exposure, tends to appear in the forehead, shoulders, etc. Typically, these conditions don't have comedones. Okay, that's why we call them acne-like. They are not acne because there are no comedones in these conditions. Or gram-negative folliculitis. So that's probably the most important piece of information that you need to get from this distinction. Okay, the other conditions, the medication-related, steroid-related, one as a result of the sun or gram-negative infection, don't have comedones. That's why they are not acne. 
path may look like that. There you have the pathogenesis, how it goes from the microcomedon to the comedon, to the inflammatory papule pustule, to the nodule. And some pictures, okay, comedons, which are keratin plugs, and that may be open, open like this, or closed like this. Okay, this is a papulopustular, some papules and pustules. Nodula, nodulocystic acne, very severe form. Conglobata, you have the, like the union of different comedones. Notice that you can, for example, maybe this lesion here that is, we could say is a linear nodule, started maybe as a single nodule here, and then the material or the, the walls broke. The material spread, and you have a new nodule, and they spread, new nodule. Okay, and sometimes you can see like a whitish pathway, which are the sinuses that they describe. Conglobata, the trunk. And the last condition we are going to see today is rosacea. Sometimes rosacea and acne may be confused. The typical distinction to know if someone has rosacea or acne by looking at the lesions is the absence of comedones in rosacea. Okay? Rosacea is a disease that is more common in females, middle-aged females, okay, and has very specific characteristics, but sometimes it's confused because it can look like acne. It's common. It's an acne form, so it looks like acne disorder. Also affects the pilosebaceous unit, like acne. But there is a different type of inflammatory reaction. Here, we have a reactivity of the capillaries. They dilate, and they form a typical lesion that is called telangiectasia. Telangiectasia are permanently dilated capillaries. Okay, you compress them, and the redness disappears, and when you remove the pressure, capillary fills again. Typical presentation of rosacea is flushing and telangiectasia. The flushing episodes sometimes are the only manifestation and are associated with stress, exposure to sunlight, spicy food, and alcohol. More typically, red wine. Okay, this flushing produces sometimes itching, they tend to scratch or rub the face, leading to other type of lesions. So there is an immune dysfunction in this case against a mite, the Modex mite. By the way, the treatment for this, or one of the treatments that dermatologists use is ivermectin, topical ivermectin. But this is a mite, okay, it's not a virus. You can treat rosacea also with acupen as well. Now, notice the clinical features, episodic flushing or redness, and you have the triggers. These people may or have to, must use sun protection, sunscreen, all the time, every day, even if they are not going out. Okay? 
People may have had acne in the past, but okay, rosacea may appear just by itself. Characteristically produces centrofacial erythema, so in the center of the face, nose, cheeks, they produce papules, pustules, flushing, telangiectasia, and something called fematous change. Okay, if you Google this, is there an image, right? Yeah. yeah. Rhino fema. You're going to see how bad this is. Nobody wants to have that. Okay. And tends to affect uh, more typically fair skinned people. Notice the age of onset 30 to 50 years. The peak incidence is between the ages 40 and 50. Okay, that is the normal moment when it presents. So, very rare in some in teenagers, very rare. Predominantly females, the rhinophema tends to occur in males. Okay, you have there some ethnicities that are more at risk. This is the stage one. Okay, simply redness and some maybe some patules. Okay, some telangiectasia. We don't have a we don't have any close-up of the telangiectasia there. Okay, this is moderate rosacea. Erythema, telangiectasia. You can see a tiny telangiectasia there. Okay, but they, they tend to appear more in this area, in the nasolabial fold here. Okay, this area here. Some papules, tiny pustules, stage two, three. Oh, you can see the telangiectasia better here. Swelling no comedons, and this is a very bad rosacea, stage, stage three. And there are different types of rosacea, okay? There is one that affects only the eyelids, produces blepharitis, okay? Not affecting too much the face. There you have some rhinophema, but this is not the, the, the worst I've seen on Google. We're going to find a lot of worst types of rhinophema. And that's, that was the first part. Okay. We continue tomorrow. Thursday? Tomorrow? Yeah. Thursday? Tomorrow. Oh, Thursday. See you on Thursday then. We will. Thank you.